Good evening. Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church for our Bible study this evening in Job. We are cruising right along. This is, I believe, our 49th lesson in a book that has 42 chapters. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, we will not finish tonight, but, um, and um, it, there's no hope to finish next week because I won't be here. But next week is next Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, is the pre-trib conference in Dallas. And uh, that's been announced, but I thought I would remind you uh, but this week we will finish chapter 41, which is a great chapter because uh, it's a continuation of God's description of this remarkable um, creature called Leviathan. But before we begin... Let's take a few seconds for spiritual preparation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. Uh, Every now and then, as I uh, quote those passages, uh, commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. People might misinterpret that and say, oh, I guess that means I can uh, pray and God will bring anything to pass. Well, no, that's why I joined both of those those passages is because we must uh, be trusting in the Lord and his direction, his path. That's the path that we must be on. That's the path that he's bringing to pass, the path that honors and glorifies him. Let's take just a few seconds, closing our eyes, bowing our heads. We have an opportunity for confession of sins and also uh, shifting gears for focus, concentration, and reliance upon God the Holy Spirit to teach us. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful that uh, your provision for us allows the opportunity for us to study your word, to understand what you're teaching us, and then hopefully to apply it. But the basis for all of that is your love for us and the indescribable gift that you have given us through your Son, and that is our salvation. We're thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ's redemptive, substitutionary work on the cross, his his payment for the guilt of our sins. 
and simply by believing in his sacrificial substitutionary work on the cross, we have the opportunity, Father, to have a relationship with you, eternal life, and, of course, imputed righteousness. So that when you see us, when you view us, as we say this humanly, you see the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and not our poor, futile effort to save ourselves. We ask for your blessing this evening on this passage as we study it. We ask that God the Holy Spirit would guide us and teach us and help us, Father, to apply it to our lives, understanding who you are, your character, and your great provisions for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the last part of chapter 41 in Job. We have um, enjoyed uh, many other uh, dialogues, presentations, speeches along the way. Uh, But we are now finishing the second, very often called second dialogue, but it's pretty much monologue all the way through with God speaking to Job. And through Job, we have lessons for ourselves. We know that what we have studied is the struggle that Job has with his life. And uh, I believe that this book, the book of Job, it has been uh, recorded for us and preserved because we can apply Job's consternation uh, to our lives. Uh, we very often struggle with uh, why certain events occur, why we find ourselves struggling in life, adversity, uh, why we are not just completely and always blessed, and life is would be, therefore, as my grandmother used to say, uh, it would be a feather bed. Well, life is not. Uh, We not only have a fallen body, which uh, is constantly um, enduring diseases uh, and various ailments, difficulties from stumbling, falling, running into uh, various objects. These are all part of our lives. And we live, of course, in a fallen world, fallen world that is uh, under the rulership of Satan. And uh, Satan uh, is not on our side. This is his world. We call it the cosmic system. And the cosmic system does not make the Christian's life simple or easy or enjoyable. But God can. And we are, we should be and uh, must be thankful not only for God's indescribable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, but he's provided for us the Word of God that teaches us about God and how we should trust him 
how we should live our lives. Um, and even when we're facing adversity, uh, illnesses, uh, we can still be happy. We can still be at peace, content. And uh, that is what Job is learning as God speaks to him, as uh, Job has had the opportunity to mentally and verbally work his way through various uh, conversations with his friends um, and uh, try to determine in his own uh, thought process why certain things are happening in his life. And we find ourselves in the same situation. And God finally breaks the silence uh, as Job hoped he would. And he is now uh, not necessarily answering Job's questions and filling in Job's desires. But he is reminding Job who who he is, who God is. And God's uh, uh, sovereignty, as well as the rest of his character, and how that controls um, all the events uh, in our lives. And we simply need to trust him, because God wants us to be happy, to be content. And there are many people who will tell us that they've gone through some of the most difficult events or situations in their lives, and they trusted the Lord. They were leaning on Him. And as uh, as they did, the events simply passed. And that's how we need to learn to live our lives. Tonight, we will begin... In verse 22, verse 22, we finished with verse 21 last two weeks ago. Uh, And what I would like to do is begin in chapter uh, verse 1, uh, chapter uh, 41, uh, verse 1. Again, this is God speaking. And wherever we find God speaking, I think we have a special treat. Uh, the entire Bible is inspired. God the Holy Spirit has inspired it. So every part of the Word of God is important and can be part of uh, our contentment, uh, the peace of God. But um, when we find uh, God speaking to uh, a member of the of humanity, I think we see maybe even uh, a little clearer uh, who God is and what he's done. And here in chapter 41, the Lord continues speaking. We saw in chapter 40, uh, the Lord uh, described Behemoth, a uh, huge, powerful, uh, incredible animal. Uh, And now in chapter 41, we have Leviathan. Um, in chapter 40, uh, Behemoth was described in verses 15 through 24, but uh, Leviathan is being described from verse 1 all the way to 34. And uh, the reason that 
God is describing this creature. He's describing him to Job, to Job, um, describing someone or something, a creature that is well beyond Job's uh, power, his capability. Um, any kind of approach to this uh, creature. But he was created by God. God is the creature's creator. And not only could God create him, but he knows everything about Leviathan. And he is able to control him. Control him with a simple thought. Verse 1, chapter 41 of Job. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Of course, this sounds like one of us going fishing. Um, Verse 2, can you put a reed, can you put a cord to his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? And to do that, it would mean that you would then take it back to wherever, whatever location you would uh, skin it, we would say, and control it. Three, will he, Leviathan, make any supplications to you after you've hooked him, after you've uh, put the uh, cord through his nose? Um, are you going to see any pleading from Leviathan? Uh, of course, the answer is no. Will he speak softly to you uh, in a friendly, w- uh, friendly way? Uh, we'll see here uh, at the end of this chapter uh, while, why um, Leviathan is not going to be doing any pleading. It's not in his or its nature. Verse 4, will he make a covenant? Will he submit to you? Make a covenant with you. Will you take him as a servant forever? Forever. In other words, will you be able to uh, make him a domestic? Will you be able to domesticate him? Make him a domestic animal, like a cow or a horse, a camel, sheep. Um, five. Will you play with him as with a bird, as with a pet, or will you leash him? For your maidens, in other words, for their entertainment. Can he be controlled to the extent that you would even allow them, uh, his maidens, uh, those who serve him, or maybe even his daughters? He had three daughters. Uh, Will you allow them anywhere near him? And, of course, the answers here uh, to these rhetorical questions is no. Verse 6. Will your companions make a banquet of him? Um, the idea here, uh, will you, um, your uh, companions, meaning others who are on the sea, who are fishing, uh, will they uh, make a banquet? Will they barter for him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? Can you divide him up? Uh, can you sell him in such a way that you do other Um, creatures that you might pull from the depths of the sea. 7, verse 7, can you fill his skin with harpoons? Can you hunt him or his head with fishing spears? In other words, can you kill him? 
the answer here uh, that is expected is no, you cannot do this. Um, and what this is beginning to tell us is this is an animal, this is a creature that uh, mankind doesn't doesn't hunt. Um, it's uh, quite uh, awesome in its uh, appearance and in its abilities. Or will you fill his head with fishing spears? Verse 8. Lay your hand on him. And I, as I've read this over and over again, I think this is uh, God challenging Job. Job, uh, there he is. Uh, right out there is Leviathan. Just go out and lay your hand on him. Got the courage to do that? Lay your hand on him. And then remember the battle that will ensue. Never do it again. In other words, uh, if you survive, would you do that again? And the answer is no. So never do it again. Lesson learned. Verse 9. Indeed, any hope, any expectation of overcoming him is false. That's more or less an answer to verse 8. You have no expectation of overcoming him and that is uh, that would be false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? Uh, In other words, you would be fearful um, just at the sight of him. Uh, How in the world are you ever going to get close enough to lay your hand on his head? Verse 10, no one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Another one so bold, so courageous. Who then is able to stand against me? Uh, God creates this creature. Uh, God can do whatever he wants with this creature. Leviathan. God is so sovereign, so above and beyond uh, even his own creatures, that who then would be able to stand against me? In other words, Job, uh, can you confront me? Because that's what Job was doing. He was suffering. And instead of remembering how he, what his attitude should be towards God, he was confronting God. Um, with the disasters in his life. Uh, And these are um, lessons that we need to learn. However, I've often said that God demands us to come to him in prayer. Um, And very often we're out of sorts when we come to him in prayer. Doesn't bother God. God is not afraid of what we might say or do. God wants us to come to him. Um, He is more than willing to allow us to engage him in one-way conversation. And it's been my experience. Other people have told me this, of course. It's been my experience that as we speak with God, uh, we are comforted. And soon we have his peace. And so who then is able to stand against me? If you cannot face Leviathan, how will you face the one who created him, the one who controls him? 
Verse 11 uh, is a continuation. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me? Meaning me, meaning God the Father, that I should pay him, that I owe him something. Has someone uh, preceded me who has created opportunities for me, we might say. Um, no, uh, no one has preceded God. Uh, God is eternal. No one else is eternal. Everything under heaven is mine. In other words, God is indebted to no one. God owes nothing to anyone. God owns everything. Verse 12, I, God, will not conceal his limbs. In other words, God is not going to conceal the greatness of his creatures. And this Leviathan is certainly great. His mighty power or his graceful proportions. That's how I sort of translated this as his beautiful design. Uh, God's creation is beautiful, even though there are some things we think are rather fearsome, maybe even ugly. Uh, God's creation is a beautiful design. 13. Who can remove his outer coat? Court? We're ba- uh, coat. We're back to Leviathan. Who can skin remove his exterior? Uh, and we'll see that this is even more difficult as we proceed. Who can remove his outer coat, his exterior? Who can penetrate him with, uh, penetrate his armor? Um, some translations have double bridle. Uh, I believe that the sense here of uh, removing his outer coat is skinning him and therefore uh, who can penetrate his armor? Who can kill him? Verse 14. Who can open the doors of his face? Uh, the doors of his face would be his mouth. Who can open his mouth? Uh, no one dare challenge him. Uh, you're not going to be able to uh, hook him or uh, catch him with his terrible teeth all around. In other words, exceedingly dangerous defensive uh, mechanisms. Fifteen, his rows of scales are his back. Um, uh, shut up tightly as with a seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together and cannot be parted. Uh, I think all of those verses uh, are describing the defense of this uh, this creature. Um, I think I discussed this last time. Uh, we'll probably address it again. Um, these... Uh, creatures that we probably would describe as dinosaurs were uh, fierce and ferocious, is another word. Uh, they would attack other animals, uh, other dinosaurs. And many of these dinosaurs, in order to survive, had uh, various defensive mechanisms. Uh, bony back that could not be uh, penetrated. Uh, so that other dinosaurs might attack them. Uh, but there was, these were defensive me- mechanisms that allowed them to survive, possibly. Verse 18, his sneezing, his snorting, 
flashes forth light and his eyes are like eyelids of the morning. In other words, it's like the breaking of dawn. If you were able to look into his eyes, uh, if you were to get that close, um, it's like the, the sun rising. Out of his mouth goes burning light. Sparks of fire shoot out. Now, this could easily be uh, somewhat of a figure of a speech, meaning that uh, as he um, uh, emerges from the depths, uh, we see he snorts, not necessarily sneezing, and we see this mist of, of water. And in it we see um, the uh, gleams of light. Um, so his uh, his mouth um, out of his mouth goes burning lights, sparks of fire shoot out. Um, we know that uh, some uh, dinosaurs, dragons, were described as having the capability of uh, f- having fire, capability of, of fire, and we discussed um, uh, some uh, animals today that seem to have uh, capabilities in a minor way um, similar to this. Uh, smoke goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindle, uh, kindles coals and a flame goes out of his mouth. Now, we've discussed all of those uh, characteristics uh, up to this point. And now as we uh, resume in verse 22, um, we're going to see that God continues his description of this impressive creature. Uh, As stated previously, while Leviathan is an incredible creature, it it is subordinate to his creator. The Creator not only knows all there is to be known about this creature or him or it, but it is completely in control of it. And that's one of the remarkable things. Uh, I think God describes uh, Leviathan in this detail because otherwise mankind really doesn't have these details because they're not going to get that close to him. And so the creator uh, knows not all there is to be known about him or it, but it's in completely control of it. Job, on the other hand, cannot even approach this beast, this beast, which is called Leviathan. Uh, Lay your hand on him. (laughs) Stand by would be the warning. All this is designed for Job and, of course, for us to understand the person and the ability of our sovereign God. God is in control of Leviathan, possibly the most powerful creature that ever existed. And God is also in control of all the events, situations, and concerns in our lives. Um, It's simple for God to assist us, to help us. Uh, If he can control uh, this extraordinary beast, then it's simple for God to help us. uh, And we trust him to do so.
Yes, God is in control of everything. Job needed to be reminded of God's sovereignty as well as do we. For us, we must remember that it's certainly true that we will never face the adversity that Job is facing. Now, some may believe they they are. Uh, But I think if we were to review uh, the uh, conditions in and around Job's lives, um, how many of us have lost 10 children? Uh, How many of us have had uh, thousands of uh, stock destroyed? Uh, How many of us have uh, lost the facilities that we have around us and how many of us are suffering in the same way that Job was. Uh, We may have one uh, of these events uh, occurring in our lives, uh, maybe to a a less, uh, to a degree uh, that Job, but that's the sense of this. We are to see Job uh, and the disaster of his life at this point, but it's all under God's control. And when we get to chapter 42, we'll see uh, the blessings of God, God's rewards for us. Even after Job questioned God's uh, justice. And that's why I say I think God uh, has no problem with us coming to him with our frustrations and our our anxieties. For us, we must remember that it's certainly true that we will never face the adversity that Job is facing. Therefore, if Job is humbled and corrected by God's presentation, we must not fail to understand and to apply God's lessons to our lives as well. Our continuing study here in chapter 42, verses 22 through 34, teaches us about our God through this description and the characteristics of Leviathan. We should be humbled and comforted by his sovereign ability and his control of everything in our lives. Verse 22. Let's read Verses 22 to verse 20, 25, down to 25. Strength dwells in its neck, and this is Leviathan. Strength dwells, or another word we could use here is abides. Strength dwells in his neck, and sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm on him and cannot be moved. His heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. Because of his crashing, they are beside themselves. All right, there are several concepts here that are important for us to understand. Uh, First of all, in verse 22, strength dwells or abides. It's part of Leviathan. It's in his neck. 
and sorrow or despair dances or runs before him. We would say that anyone who sees Leviathan approaching, uh, he is on the run. He is giving him uh, as much distance as he can. So this monstrous creature has a powerful neck, which probably also tells us that the rest of his body is extraordinary, extraordinarily powerful also. Those who encounter him are dismayed. They're fearful and, to a certain extent, would be terror-struck. Job would be terrorized by Leviathan. But God, of course, is at peace with him and could play with him like a kitten or a puppy. Verse 23, the folds of his flesh are joined together. In other words, they're tightly joined. We read that um, previously about the scales or the what he has on his back. It says they are firm on him and cannot be moved. Again, the exterior of Leviathan presents a daunting defense. The design of his flesh pre, uh, presents firmly folded, uh, joined folds so that anyone trying to penetrate his skin will find those folds to be immovable. Uh, this is his defense, we would say. So attacking Leviathan, we'll see here in a moment, with javelins and spears and arrows, it's uh, useless. We don't find a creature like this today. God created some of these dinosaurs to be ferocious, ferocious and powerful, daunting, as I've said. The exterior defenses against attacks by other dinosaurs had to be nearly impenetrable so that uh, a dinosaur uh, may not be able to defend itself uh, in the same way that uh, some dinosaurs with their uh, ferocious uh, jaws, teeth, but they would be, um, uh, the those dinosaurs would find uh, attacking another dinosaur who was well defended by his uh, design uh, would give up. Verse 24, his heart. And when we read the word heart here, we should probably not understand it as uh, the organ that pumps blood, but it's his spirit, his attitude, um, his uh, approach to other animals and situations in which it finds itself is hard as stone. And when we see hard as stone, we understand that he's not afraid, even as hard as the lower millstone. Um, the uh, the description of his heart being hard means that he's cruel um, and he's fearless. We would probably, I like this word, he's ferocious. Um, the um, One of the animals that we might uh, understand in this regard would be uh, what was known as the black rhinoceros. 
there's also known as the white rhinoceros. The white rhinoceros was uh, a grazer. The black rhinoceros was a browser, um, not a browser as we think of today, but a grazer eats off of the ground, eats uh, uh, grass. A browser eats off of trees and bushes of that that nature. Uh, when I had the chance to visit South Africa and visit uh, many of the animal preserves, um, we saw many of the what was known as white rhinoceros. And the white does not describe their appearance. Uh, it's believed that the word white came from a Dutch word meaning wide. And the white rhinoceros has a wide muzzle, easy for for grazing. The black rhinoceros um, uh, was simply uh, designated as black to distinguish it from the white. And it has a very narrow muzzle. Uh, but it also had very dim eyesight. Uh, it was, uh, and uh, if it saw anything that uh, it could not identify, uh, its tendency was to charge. I think I described this to you once. Um, we were uh, in a vehicle, and most uh, animals uh, ignored uh, the vehicles because uh, it didn't appear to, to uh, they couldn't identify it, first of all, but secondly, uh, it uh, didn't bother them, and after a while, they got accustomed to it. But according to our uh, guide, he said the black rhinoceros was uh, could be described by the, he didn't say this. I'm saying it uh, could be described this way. Uh, it was ready to to attack, to charge uh, when it was. Um, confounded by what it was in front of it. Sometimes it would just hear it, and then it would start loping towards it. And I remember uh, the one black uh, rhinoceros we saw, and I think I'm being told that they're almost, if not completely extinct now. Uh, but uh, our guide said, back us out of here as fast as you can. And so we did, and the rhinoceros... Uh, uh, was left behind. But that's what this is. Uh, his spirit, it's hard as stone. It means that he's cruel. He's fearless. Uh, the word here for hard uh, is the word uh, encountered uh, in other places as something that is cast in metal. Uh, milestones. Um, we see reading here the lower uh, milestone. Uh, millstone, excuse me, millstone. Uh, millstones by design were hard as rock. Um, those of you who have been to um, uh, to mills, uh, not many left today, but if you can go to an old mill, uh, very often what would happen or what you would see is two millstones. There would be an upper millstone that is upright, and there would be another millstone that was flat, and the upper millstone 
grinds on the lower millstone. And the millstone had, the lower millstone had to be uh, very hard. Uh, those mill, the lower millstones were milled from the hardest gra- uh, rocks. One stone was upright and it rolled circularly, circularly on the lower stone, which lay flat. The lower stone was considered to be uh, extremely hard. And so that's how this animal is being described. Uh, hard as rock. This animal did not need to be provoked. It was naturally ferocious, cruel, and violent. Verse 25, when he, Leviathan, raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. Uh, The Hebrew word here for uh, mighty is El. It's uh, the word for God. And here it's Elim, and it means God's. And this, of course, is the Father, God the Father, describing this creature. Uh, when he raises, when he raises himself up, the mighty, and I think you could probably put there, gods in lower case G, gods are afraid because of his crashing, his thrashing. Uh, they are beside themselves. So this creature, the Leviathan, is so awesome that even the earthly gods fear him. Well, now there are no such things as earthly gods unless we as human beings create them. So I think that God here is using sanctified sarcasm. God is saying that no other animal or object that is considered a god can confront Leviathan. Uh, So this animal can frighten even the gods that uh, mankind has created for himself. All other creatures that are worshipped as gods flee from the the Leviathan. Uh, And that should be your first clue that they're not gods. These gods are bewildered, confounded, and distressed. Not the kind of deity that one should choose. Let's look at uh, verses 26 through 29. Verses 26 through 29. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail, nor does spear, dart, or javelin. He regards iron as straw, and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the threat of of javelins. All right. Uh, Verse 25. uh, Verse 26, rather. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail. Uh, our word here for avail is uh, possibly better understood as it does not hold firm or it gives way. We would probably uh, rather define this as it breaks. Nor does spear, dart, or javelin, nor do they reach him. 
So the sword that is used against Leviathan is useless and even breaks or it gives way if it encounters Leviathan. Um, no other weapon is, effect, is effective either. If no weapon is effective, then there's no way to defeat this creature. God created this monster. He is the only one who can confront him. No human can. Job, you're not going to be able to confront him. Therefore, can man confront God? Well, I guess we can say we can. And I've even said that God uh, is there for us uh, prayerfully approaching him. And there are times when we are truly distressed. Um, we don't know why this is happening. And we even question why God has allowed it. God says, I take all comers. Come, come to me, speak to me, uh, and I will comfort you. Verse 27, he regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. Uh, for someone to consider bronze as uh, soft and uh, penetrable as rotten wood, um, that's uh, Leviathan, uh, is certainly without fear. So the weapons of the time were iron and bronze. That's about as far as they've uh, proceeded. But those metals were like straw. It's like chaff. Again, no one could confront this creature. God made him in this manner. If God can make him, God can confront him. And it's possible that God created this creature so he could teach us these lessons in the book of Job. Verse 28. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones become like stubble. The word here is maybe better understood as chaff, even uh, something that the, the wind can blow. Uh, it's chaff to him. Uh, so in verse 28, and I, I love the way that the English versions have translated the word arrow. Um, the word arrow is not there. It's the son of the bow. What is the son of the bow? It's what proceeds from the bow, and that is an arrow. Therefore, the interpretation is correct, uh, but this is just another one of those figures of speech that uh, I find uh, very entertaining and extraordinary. So the arrow, the son of the bow, cannot make him flee. It's not afraid of a, uh, an arrow. A sling stones became like chaff to him. Uh, does it make any difference how many sling stones you are able to put in the air at once? Doesn't bother uh, uh, Leviathan one bit. God continues the boldness here of Leviathan. Since no arrow can penetrate his armor-type flesh, then a bow and arrow do not cause him fear. 
uh, we would have the same sense. If uh, someone was uh, throwing spitballs at us, uh, if they're just bouncing off, although spitballs, I think, are designed to stick, but uh, uh, it's the same concept here. There's no, no concern. Stones flung by slings are like chaff to Leviathan. Uh, this, of course, later was would be very uh, significant to us because uh, one of the greatest dangers to Israel was Goliath. And everyone was afraid of him, except uh, the boy, probably in his teens, um, who trusted in God. He wasn't afraid of Goliath. Um, he had a sling. And he knew that ammunition lay all around him. Go to Israel. There are stones everywhere. And so he just carries his sling with him. And as he travels, if he needs a stone, maybe not all the best, but he probably carried some that were very smooth that he knew would fly uh, true. And so uh, we can imagine uh, slings can be and stones can be very dangerous, but not to Leviathan. Verse twenty-nine, darts. Uh, this word in the Hebrew can also be translated clubs, but darts are probably um, better here because no one's probably going to get close enough to try to use a club on him. So darts or clubs are regarded, are counted as straw. As I said, um, verse 28 is the same word, chaff. Possibly we should stay with the same word. Uh, so darts or clubs are regarded, are counted re- as chaff. He laughs at the threat of chaff of uh, javelins. So verse 29 represents Leviathan with human characteristics. We would say uh, uh, that these are uh, personifications. Leviathan regards a club or any weapon uh, as chaff and laughs at lances or javelins. Uh, laughing here is probably means no fear. More than likely, this creature does not laugh. Uh, and if it was laughing, how would we really know? But he but this communicates the attitude of the Leviathan in human terms so we can understand more easily what God is teaching. Uh, if someone uh, almost like Goliath uh, was of the opinion that he was uh, 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 so powerful and so well-armed that uh, he could not uh, be harmed, then he would laugh. Uh, scorn at uh, David. And that's what we would think here, is that uh, he is of no uh, concern of being threatened. Uh, The animal is fearless to any situation except when facing his creator. Verse 30. Verse 30. And I'll read right to 34. His undersides are like sharp pot shears. He spreads pointed marks in the, in the mire. 
He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. On earth, there is nothing like him, which is made without fear. He beholds everything, every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. Uh, This needs a little bit of work, but I think it still comes across fairly well. Verse 30 says, His undersides are like sharp pot shears. He spreads pointed marks. Some English translations, as a matter of fact, most uh, English translations have threshing sledge, uh, threshing sledge there, pointed marks. He spreads threshing sledge marks in the mire. Um, another translation here is his underparts are like sharp pod shears. He spreads out like a threshing sledge on the mire. Um, so uh, verse 30 tells us that Leviathan emerges from the water at times. So he's not just a, uh, a creature that exists in the deep. When it does emerge, it leaves a trail that reveals its underside. If we were to, to view the trail, it would seem to be uh, uh, gouged. There would be sharp indentations. Uh, and is, uh, there would, it would appear as if pieces of pottery had been drawn uh, underneath him. Uh, this is important because he's not vulnerable from the underside. This is a tank, uh, very well protected. If we were to drag a threshing implement through the mud, it would leave a simpler, a similar tra- uh, trail. Uh, a threshing sledge was similar to a broom, but with pointed projections that would break the husk of grain. Now, this is getting beyond our uh, time period. As a matter of fact, um, we didn't even have, at least I don't remember, having this tool on the farm. Uh, we had many tools that we no longer used because we'd moved beyond them. But uh, threshing, crushing the husk around the grain would be very often uh, done by a tool. I'm describing it somewhat similar to a broom, and it would be used uh, to uh, break the husk so that the wind would blow the husk away and the, gra- the grain would fall to the ground. And this broom or this implement would have uh, like dowels that would come along below it and so it could be used to crush the uh, the husks. So God describes Leviathan as fearsome. But fear is not in God's character. God is not afraid of Leviathan. God does not fear your adversity, your illness, or your overwhelming situation. God is calmly and peacefully ready to uh, provide solutions for uh, the disasters in our lives.
verse 32, he, Leviathan, leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. Uh, I love that description. Uh, We've all seen the wakes of uh, motorboats or even naval craft as they move rapidly through the water. But rarely do we see an animal moving so fast in the water that leaves a trail as described here. Uh, What do we do? We call that sometimes a rooster tail uh, behind a a motorboat. And I remember uh, on some of the vessels uh, that I had the opportunity to uh, travel uh, in the Navy, uh, the uh, churning behind the uh, propellers behind the ship would give us this churning and thrashing of the water. Leviathan was created with extraordinary ability to move very rapidly through the water. Uh, there are many people who would describe, uh, who believe that this creature is a hippopotamus or possibly a uh, crocodile. Uh, this, they, I've seen crocodiles moving rather rapidly through the water, and uh, it's al- they almost are seamless on the surface. So and a hippopotamus, um, while they can move quickly when they want to, this is not a description of how we observe them in the water. Verse 33, on earth there is nothing like him which is made without fear. So what do we have here? Leviathan is so dominant in his sphere, wherever he is, whether on land or sea. Uh, he is not. He is not intimidated, nor has he any sense of fear. Uh, this is a remarkable animal. Wild animals generally have an innate fear of mankind. After the flood, God said that the fear and dread of man would exist in all animals. As a matter of fact, I wanted to read this because we might have what could be considered a controversy here. Uh, if Leviathan uh, is... Uh, not afraid of anything as I've described it here. Uh, on earth there is nothing like him which is made without fear. Genesis 9-2 says, and this is not only after the fall, but this is after the flood. Genesis 9-2 says, and the fear of you, speaking of Noah and his family, and the fear of you all, Uh, And the dread of you all shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that creeps or moves on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. So how do we understand this description? Well... Uh, Leviathan is so ferocious that he appears not to fear mankind. How do we compare these two passages? I believe that all animals and creatures do, in fact, fear mankind. That's what God has placed within them. But often the defense of animals is to try to intimidate other animals, animals that they fear, or humans. 
that they fear. So possibly what we have here is the fear of mankind causes Leviathan to react aggressively, even violently towards anyone or anything. And that would be the spirit, we could say, of the black rhino. Uh, Not sure what it is, maybe even anxious. What shall I do? Well, I've got this great, big, horny uh, proboscis. And we charge. And so maybe that's how this should be understood. Verse 34. He, Leviathan, beholds every high thing. He is king. Uh, this is Melech. It does, is more often than not translated king, but it can be a ruler uh, or a domination, we would say. He is, uh, he dominates over all the children the sons of pride. Uh, so we have a special position of Leviathan. Leviathan uh, is in a special position in God's hierarchy of, create, uh, of creatures, and God places him at the top. This remarkable creature is in a position that it fears no other animal. It is the highest on the food chain, we would say, and is described as being prouder than any other creature. The pride involved here is not like human pride, but it's an absence of fear. It doesn't fear any other animals. Or another way to describe it is that its methods of defense, its method of defense is to drive away any creature that it senses could be a threat to it. In the second colon, all English versions have king in their translations. I think the word is used for uh, what we would use for a lion. In other words, the king of beasts. It uh, is dominant, and that's the way I think to see this. Its rulership comes from its dominance and power. Leviathan is king or dominant in the same way that the king of beasts, a lion, is dominant. Now, uh, in closing, just briefly, uh, this is uh, our last verse of Leviathan and, of course, Behemoth. And God is describing them in detail. Now, there are many theologians who, in reading this, naturally cannot uh, place these characteristics with any animal that they see today. And if they can't see it today, then many of them believe that this is not uh, a real animal, a real creature, um, that it didn't exist. Uh, There are some who believe that uh, these are true, uh, genuine creatures, but they are no longer in existence. There are some who believe that these are real animals. They do exist today, and they would describe them possibly as a crocodile or as a hippopotamus or maybe some other animal. 
uh, I believe that uh, the second is true. I don't believe this is a description of a crocodile. Uh, I don't think mankind, uh, while they respect a crocodile, have ever been able or, or have been unable to uh, kill uh, and uh, uh, use the uh, skin like an, uh, an alligator skin. Uh, so I, I do not believe that these descriptions belong to uh, some animal today that we essentially have the ability to control, uh, defeat. Um, but I do believe that the detailed description that God has given us uh, tells us that this is a real animal. There's another um, uh, position, and that is that God is describing these creatures as being symbolic, symbolic of evil, and that uh, uh, God is symbolically uh, representing evil, and that God has made these animals, described these animals uh, in a way that suggests evil forces are not beyond God's control. Well, now evil is not beyond God's control. But I don't believe that that's the point of these two chapters. I think God is addressing Job and he is teaching him the lesson of who God is, what God has done, what God can do, and that we as puny humans should not be questioning him. Not his power, not his sovereignty, nor um, his ability to care for us. God is in control. And I think that this is how we should understand this. Those who have trouble with this, um, simply, I don't think, and I'm not trying to be critical of them, uh, simply don't have the faith uh, or the ability to accept the literal translations here. Now, there's some figures of speech in these descriptions, but it's a description of what God has created and he is describing to us. Next week, or the week after that, we'll move to chapter 42, and we'll see the conclusion of... Uh, begin the conclusion of Job. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for uh, this remarkable book. It's not often taught, and I think I understand why. Uh, it's difficult to interpret. Uh, but, Father, there's a great lesson here, and that is you are our God. You are uh, the God who has created us. You are the one who is in, who is, uh, in control. Even the most uh, ferocious animals, uh, the most challenging weather, and all that we see on earth, uh, simply in your control. And we must rely on you. We must 
lean on you. Uh, We must have faith in your plan for our lives and continue to praise and honor you from that standpoint. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.